Colossians chapter 3. We're in verse 12. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen holy people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Back in verse 1 of Colossians chapter 3, uh, Paul makes a statement about the position, our position in Christ, and how the truth of this is to affect our practice. Position is always going to be demonstrated in practice. That's the way it's supposed to be. In other words, before we knew Christ, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Ephesians chapter 2 says. And so one of the tragedies of the church is trying to make dead people do living things. Trying to make dead people do living things. Is trying to have people who are not regenerated in their spirit, who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, who have not been born again, go to church, preach, evangelize, share the gospel, give fearlessly, all these types of things. But you see, when, when a person who is dead comes into those things, it's called religion. Any of you have ever felt like that? But see, when Jesus comes into your heart, and He makes you brand new, and He takes over, you can't help but say whatever you want, Lord. And like Marilyn this morning, it's like, that old man's got to go. Jesus, you come rise up, and whatever you say, I'm going to do. And so things like evangelism don't become an option in your life. Things about witnessing and changing our character and telling the truth and all these things he's talking about, they, just, they come from Jesus within us. Our new nature being born again. Right now we still have that old man that doesn't want to conform, but we've got to kill that guy. Mortify is what he says in here. Reckon him dead. How do you reckon it dead? Well, he says in Ephesians verse 1, I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 3 verse 1, it says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. In other words, since your position is truly that you're born again, you're now new in Christ Jesus, since that is the true reality, that the old man has passed away, the new man is here, now you've got to reckon it so. You've got to believe it. You've got to put it into action. It's got to work out in your, in your mind and in your practice. Now, how many of us know that that is the hardest? That's where work at, real, real Christianity happens, when the cross truly happens. Amen? And so he says, therefore, it's God's chosen and holy people. Clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility and gentleness and patience. Those aren't things that don't come naturally to us, do they? No, I think, I think selfishness and anger and uh, pride and me first and my kingdom, those things come first. How many of you know that? Just waking up this morning, you wake up, ah, oh, me. You know, it's like, it's like, ah, oh, it's another me day. You know what I mean? You're not thinking, oh, I can't wait to just give my life for everybody else and lay down my needs. I mean, mothers do that every morning. They have that moment probably when they wake up and go, oh, it's another day of the cross. You know? <laughs> Seriously. But since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. You know, you've been raised with Christ. 
We've been born again. We have died to this world. The evil desires and passions that once ruled us, we now have been raised with Christ. We're united with Christ through faith. Our lives are now hidden with God in Christ. He is our life. And where is he? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's not here, even though he is technically in us and through us. But positionally, we are seated with him in the heavenlies. And so Paul's saying, get your mind on him. And then your actions will follow. Stop putting your mind on the earthly things. That's your old life. Says, Paul says, if that is indeed what happened when you put your faith in Christ Jesus and you were born again, if, if our position is no longer spiritually dead and slaves to sin, and now we're alive and raised with Christ, then our thinking should no longer be dominated by the old life and our actions are going to reflect that new life. Amen. And so verse 2 says, set your minds on things above. Not on the earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ when, where Christ is, who is your life. When he appears, then you also will be with him in glory. And so then the next several verses, Paul tells us what that old life is like. In case we don't really know what it's like, because sometimes we're deceived by it. And we're to put off that old life, that old way of thinking, like taking off dirty clothes. It, and he says, it's mortify it is the word, put it to death. That's what he says. They're unfitting for us now. Your clothes no longer fit. I know we've had those problems, but I'm talking, it's the old clothes of the old life of sin. They no longer fit who you truly are anymore. Amen? Amen. And so that old life is to be put away with. Now, I'm not going to spend much time going over these things. We went over that last week, all the things we were to put off. So I want you to chat with me after the service if you weren't here, if you don't know. Or you can go check it out online. It's just called The Old Life, and it was last day last week. Um, but the verses say, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all of these things. So the first thing is it was sexual morality. That was a big problem in their culture. And that's one of the things that God wants to redeem in us is our sexuality. We talked about that last week. That it's proper place and it's proper use in the proper context. In other words, what God created it for is to be what it's to be for now. Okay, and then... Now, he, he moves on, he says, you used to walk in these ways, right? But now you must also rid yourselves of these things. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. And so, God wants to redeem our mouths. How many of us just have potty mouths? Used to have potty mouths. You know, some of us still struggle with that. I tell you what, just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean someone cuts me off on the... Well, we don't have freeway around here. Someone cuts me off going 10 miles an hour around here. I'm just kidding. You know, it doesn't just, yeah, the old man just pops up, you know, and you just kind of go, what? Yeah, that's still in there. That's a bummer. But what he says is, we want to put that stuff off. Don't lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices. How many of you have old man in there? Yeah, let's get rid of the old man. If you need to say old woman, you can say old woman. It's okay. And, and if, verse 10, and if put on the new self, you've put off the old man and its practices, the old nature with its practices. You see what I'm saying? See what he's saying? Dead men do dead things. Living men, living women do living things. New nature. And have put off 
I'm sorry, and have put on, verse 10, the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. I love that it's not just that we, as soon as we're born again, we instantly know everything we're supposed to do. How many of you have children, and by the nature of birth, they are your children, they're in your family, they have your name, everything you have is at their disposal, so to speak, correct? And what do they do instantly? They poop their pants and they cry. (laughs) Do they know even anything about, like, the reality of what's going on? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. (laughs) Tim thinks so. (laughs) Well, let me tell you, at about two or three years old, they, 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 they've ruled us, and we don't even know it. First child, like, oh my gosh, they fooled me. But truly, just the same way, we, we, when we come to Christ, we are valued, and we have a new identity and all those things, but we're waking up to grow into the image of our Father. Amen? And so that is a beautiful picture. And having put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. How many of us are need, need our minds changed about things and how we think about things? That's why I think there's, there should be some serious grace in the body of Christ as we're growing. And some of us, you know, we're, we're so concerned about doctrine, and that this would be me, right? Uh, that we forget about people are growing. And to really find out what the true issue is behind it. Not that we don't correct false teaching. Of course we do. But to have the grace to realize that we're all growing. I, I think if people have had that with me, I'm really thankful for that, that our peaceful, people have been patient with me and kind with me and long-suffering with me. And, and even though I, I'm right about something, I might not have the right way of saying it or have the maturity to do it in love. Anybody else like that? Yeah, because I've never been wrong. And so you guys will learn. No, I'm just kidding. You know what I'm saying? We've all got these glaring things that we're all working on. Lord, help us. And that's where the body of Christ comes around. And, and we love each other. And we slowly help each other out. And we go to the Word to be changed. We go to the Word of God to be changed in our minds and our thinking. We're transformed in the renewing of our minds, not by culture, not by TV, not by Christian music and all these other types of things. We go to the Word of God to be transformed. The Holy Spirit transforms us. And so when we get here in just a few verses where it says, Wives, submit to your husbands, the world says, Heck no. Amen? Amen. And that's why I'm waiting to get back to teach that when Christine's here. So I'm going to edit that out. No, believe me. We were joking about that. You saw, you should say that. I'm like, okay. So anyways, we're, we're being renewed. And so he says, therefore, put to death those things. You're being renewed. And so now that we've been reminded of what we're to put off, now Paul wants the church to know what, that God desires that we live in our new identity. See, it's not just putting off the old life, and that's quite often how what church does. Stop doing this, stop doing that, and we're morality police, but it's not only that. It's put on Christ. It's now the new life that Christ wants to do in and through you. Amen? Christ in you, the hope of glory, and his personality, his character, his love, his patience, his gentleness, his kindness, his thinking of others, him waking up and going, ah, Christ, what can I do for you today? That now captures our hearts. And let me tell you, that's not the old man, amen? That's new life when you start focusing on him. 
And so he says there in verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen, holy, and dearly loved people, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So the first thing to note I want to look in that verse is that you are God's chosen people. How many of you have received Christ as your Savior? Big news for you. God chose you. Isn't that wild? Now, I haven't really had very many edifying conversations about um, you know, the free will of man and, and the sovereignty of God. But notice it isn't talking about the free will of men right here, is it? What is it talking about? God chose you. So guess what we're going to talk about just for a second? God chose you. God chose you. So we know verses, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but everlasting life, right? So we know verses where it talks about we have believed upon Jesus Christ, correct? But this verse says that God chose you. Ephesians 4.1 4, 1 says that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight and love. So really quickly, did he choose you before you choose him? chose him? I'm just saying, I don't know how that works, right? I'm just reading scripture. You guys can figure out the theology behind it. So it says that before the foundation of the world, God chose you. And I don't know about you, but I'm so happy that God chose me. Amen? I, instead of wrestling with that and arguing with that, let's just give it a big old hug and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for choosing me. Thank you. When we get to the verses that say we get to choose Jesus, let's just embrace that too. Amen? Because they're parallel truths. And it depends probably on eternity's perspective versus ours. But for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He chose you before you were born, before you chose him. How about Romans 8.28? Some beautiful verses about the Lord choosing you. It says, uh, we love this verse. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who loved him, who have been called according to his purpose. I love that verse. But the next verses are pretty cool too, 29 30. It says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he also called, he also justifies. And those he justified, he glorified. I mean, just like, thank you, whatever that means. God foreknew you, he predestined you, he called you, and he justified you, and he glorified you. And he will glorify you, and he will sanctify you. Just don't worry about that right now. But, now that's rich. You know, but I also like to rest in the fact that it wasn't my education, it wasn't my mad dodgeball skills. Anybody got passed over for dodgeball when you're a kid or whatever it is. Yeah, that was me. Like, okay, yeah, I made, you know, my mom made my own shorts. I remember that in fifth grade. I think that was the reason. Because, like, my mom had gotten this kick where she made my shorts. Talk about excommunication. This is now that's rich. I also, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 26 through 31. It's the foundation of that line of reasoning that it really isn't about all our wonderfulness. How many of it want it to be about our wonderfulness, why we're chosen? There's something so special about me. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 26-31 says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. 
But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things, notice he chose, the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. He just flat out loves you. And quite often, in spite of me. Doesn't that tell you something about him? Loves you. You know, I rest greatly on the fact that this new life in Christ was God's idea. Because if I had to manage it, it's just not going to work out very well. But it's his idea. He's the motivator behind it. God, it was God's idea that he has brought me up into this moment where I'm standing before you and I'm declaring the word, not because of my education, not because of how glorious I am, but because he's just merciful and good. You know, and Paul really had a sense of that. Paul was highly educated. And by the way, there can be a kick in the church that kind of kind of um, um, dumbs down education. Just knock that off. Quite often that's rooted in pride. You know, I, you know, when we sit there, if we're uneducated, we, and we maybe like knock someone who's, who's educated. Oh, well, I'm just, I'm going to glory in my ignorance. You know, God uses all kinds of people. He just said not many, right? I mean, some were. So be careful about those things. Just let, I've heard it, I've heard it before, so... Be humble in things and realize that God takes all people from all over the place and, and uses them. Amen? Um, but one of the things is Paul was highly educated. The guy was a Jedi. I mean, master Jedi of, like, of all that stuff. I mean, he was amazing. And yet, none of that stuff, and, and as he came to the realization of the cross, he said, I count it all as dung. He says, I count it all as refuse. In other words, it does nothing for me in the spiritual world. It does nothing for me. Actually, it's, it's the humiliation of my soul, the, the humiliation that the, the I have nothing. None of this does anything before Christ, but Christ in me is the hope of glory. And so no matter who you are, whether you're highly educated or whether you don't know anything, Christ, there's pride in all areas, correct? And, pride, and Jesus Christ is the answer for that. We need to be filled with him. And to be humiliated in our own souls, to be poor in spirit is the word. You know, to realize that no matter where we are, we're, we're absolutely bankrupt. And once Paul realized that in his life, he became extremely useful in the kingdom of God as he laid down his life, as Christ lived through him. Now the picture is Christ. Do you think he's highly educated? Jesus was highly educated? <laughs> Come on, he's God, right? What does it say? He left, he condescended, he came down and became one of us. He left all that he might win us. That's the mindset we're to have. And so, anyways, not many of us were all these things. And I do rest in the fact that God chooses, not based upon social status, but based upon his love for us and based upon his heart for us. And it says, and, and just... I think that we just need to focus on that a little bit in our hearts and just say thank you. You know, your new identity, Christ, is that you were chosen. I want you to know that this morning. You were chosen. But also, verse 12 says you're holy. 
You're chosen to be holy. We know holy means what? To be set apart. It's not to be used for common, you know, common things. In other words, you're set apart for his purposes, in his kingdom, in, in his reasons, his plan, all those types of things. You're no longer common. You are holy. You're set aside for him. Now, what is his purpose for you? Well, there's a whole bunch of them as we start going through scripture, but let me just give you one. First Peter chapter two, verse nine through 10, it says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You've received mercy that you might declare the praises of God. So one of God's purposes in your life is that you would declare the praises of the Lord. Now, does that mean that it is limited to singing songs? No, but does it include singing songs? Declaring the praises? Yes, it does. Absolutely. So that's an aspect of our worship. But if you flip over to Romans chapter 12, verse 2, make a note for yourself. I'll just read it for you. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So part of declaring the praises to God is a changed life. That is our testimony. That is how we declare praises to God, is by how we live. Allowing Jesus Christ to be Lord and rule me from the inside out. Amen? That's, that is a huge thing. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. That means we wake up today and say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. God, you know I've got this big old hole in my head, and there's things that are problems, and by your grace, change me today. By your grace, make me more patient, more like Jesus. In this one area that I'm struggling in, Lord, would you, would you be glorified in that? Would you help me? Would you give me strength in my innermost being? Would you let Christ rule in and through me in that area? And as we pray towards that end, as we study towards that end, and as we deny ourselves to that end, God will, will do that work within us. <clears throat> so let me say that there is definitely the sovereignty of God in these things, but there's also the responsibility of man to respond to the Spirit within our lives and our hearts. And that's what Paul's saying here. You're, you're holy and you're set aside and you're called, but guess what? It's got to work out in your faith. It's got to live out in your life. So you're holy, you're set aside for God's purposes and His plan. You're chosen and holy and you are dearly loved. Do you know, I've already said it, but do you know that you are dearly loved? How many of you feel unlovable this morning? How many of you feel like um, perhaps the things you've been doing and thinking this week are just undeserving of love? Well, God, why would you love me? Think of that little baby that poops its pants. Amen. Tell me, uh, parents, does your love shift? There we go. That's a frog. Yeah. <laughs> it depends on how bad the diaper is. <laughs> Let me tell you, you can grieve the spirit, right? <laughs> Amen. It doesn't mean we grieve, but, but love doesn't change. And that's important. But you are dearly loved. You know, he chose you, he pulled you out of this world, and he loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is the nature of God's love. 
Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't based upon what I did or did not do. He loved me. And just another verse or two about God's love for you. And you know what, I'm, I'm preaching the big ones here out of the great eight, Romans 8. It says, can, verse 35, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No one, sorry, it says no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither our fears For today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. I love that. I'm very, very thankful for verses like that. At the same time, beginning of verse 8, he says, For those who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. So there's always that healthy tension, that healthy tension between God's absolute love for you and your response to His love. And Jesus says, if you love me, then obey me. And this is my command that you love one another as I have loved you. How has God loved us? Did you just read that right there? Did you see His love for us? That while we were yet sinners, that through all these difficulties in our lives, He still loved Jesus says, how have I loved you? Now go love one another. If you love me, this is how you'll, you'll obey me. And it's in that context, in, in the light of God's love, Paul says to us, clothe yourselves accordingly. Go clothe yourselves with ultimately love. And that's what he's getting into. <clears throat> and so when you get into why we are sexually pure and we're devoted to one man, one woman, why we are um, focused on the areas of purity in our speech, why we are focused on wives submit your husbands, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. It's all wrapped up in the character of Christ. It's all love. It's not about rules. It's the new life we have. And that should be our motive from the inside out. And so he says, clothe yourselves with compassion. He lists, he just, he lists a bunch of things here. We're going to go through them. Compassion. This is a heartfelt, gut-level Compassion. It's not becoming callous towards the lost, the sick, or the sinner. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, it says, <clears throat> When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You know, as I'm looking at, um, you know, what's going on in our nation, and just the tumult, and the... <clears throat> You know, the frustrations that I think are, are bubbling up, maybe because of the political cycle and all these types of things. And, and there's just a real sense of agitation. You know, I, I look at, at many of our, of our youth and many of these younger people, and I look at a sheep without a shepherd. Um, they're without authority. They're, a lot of them are in families without, without fathers, you know. And there's just, there's just, I just think God wants to, to jump in there and love, and love, love through this. 
and to, and to put godly people in places to where um, those paradigms can shift within our culture. And I'm just talking about one little example. You know, how do you reconcile, um, you know, a group that um, resists authority and a group that abuses authority? It's called the cross. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ of the church. And the problem with when we, when, we hear, when we read those things is that it's the fear of abuse of authority, right? And the heart of a lack of submission to authority. You see that? And the answer is Jesus Christ. The answer is the gospel. It's not programs and all this type of stuff. It is getting new hearts into dead people. You see that? So, when we put new hearts into dead people, guess what happens? Life happens. Submission happens. Love. Power no longer becomes something to rule, but it becomes something to bless. <clears throat> and to extend love to people. And, and authority is submitted to because you want to have the best for our society. Amen? But see, we've lost that. We've got our eyes off of Jesus. We've got our eyes off the Lord. And we think we can have life apart from him. We can't. And we're going to suffer because of it. And so I just, and, and this comes down to the church, guys. It comes down to us and our daily lives. Are we willing to deny ourselves and go be those people? How else are they going to know unless someone goes and starts opening their mouths and living their lives around people? Amen? And not just telling them what for, but showing them what for. And that's a work of the Holy Spirit. I can't coerce you into any of that, but it comes down to, Lord, are you, am I going to be clothed with compassion? I have no compassion for certain things. Anybody else? Like the Raiders. I don't have any compassion for the Raiders. <laughs> Second Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, no Raider fan shall enter the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> I haven't finished writing that book yet. That's as far as I've gotten. No, I'm just kidding. But you know what I'm saying? Certain things you have no compassion about. But God wants to change us. Jesus looked on people. They were harassed or whatever it might have been. And, and Jesus looked on them with compassion. And so he fed them. He got into their lives and he talked to them. He met physical needs. He met spiritual needs. He was preaching the word. We don't compromise the word. I think it's silly if we just simply feed the dead people and let them go to hell. No, you give them the, the spiritual food too, Amen you got to give them the word. you got to give them what really changes hearts and lives. And that's you. That's not me. I'm here to equip you to go. That's what the scriptures say. Now, no doubt I'm doing it. I'm trying to be an example, you know, sharing all those things. I mean, as the Lord does that, don't, I don't want to be a hypocrite. But you are the light of the world. Amen? You are the salt. You are to go and make disciples. Amen? And you might be going... Oh, but I got this lack in my life. I can't do this or I don't do... Exactly. You need Christ to empower you and to fill you in that area and to help you. Amen? That's what it's about. This is not to be done in our own strength. It's all about Him. It's about Him filling us and moving us, but we've got to surrender our hearts and our wills and say, yes, I will go open my mouth and it's going to be stupid. Here we go, blah. And then we go say it and then... Yeah, it feels stupid. We get persecuted. But then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes in and goes, yes, obeying me. And then there's this koinonia you have with the Spirit. And he encourages you in your heart. You go, 
for some crazy reason, I want to go do that again. And then he starts teaching you. But if we can't get past step one, we're not going to learn. How many of us look at our kids and go, all right, here's the keys to the car, and you throw them at the toddler and go, go, go to work. And I think we do other things like, hey, you know, let's eat some food. Let's brush our teeth. And we grow up and we get strengthened in the Lord. And eventually they're doing amazing things. That's what we hope, right? It says, clothe yourself with compassion. How about with kindness? That's a mellowing all that might be harsh. I struggle with this. I like to use sharp words and because I'm passionate about things. And some of us say, well, I'm just passionate. Well, be kind too. Amen? You can be kind and be passionate. So Lord, help me on that. Not harsh and, and hard to bear. Jesus was kind. He was, his burden was easy and his yoke was light. How about humility? To make yourself low. It's a military thing. To assume a lower rank. How many of you are assuming higher ranks? How many of you go, I'll do that. It's totally beneath me, you know, so to speak. But that's the heart of Christ, right? What does he do? He left heaven. He came down, he's born in a manger. He didn't have a house. He walked around with 12 guys and preached the gospel and washed people's feet. That's the king of the universe. He's humble. Humble. And all these are in Jesus, right? Gentleness. Meekness is another word for this one. Willing to suffer injury instead of inflicting it. How many of us are willing to suffer injury instead of inflicting it? Meekness, that's a work of the Spirit. Gentleness is a work of the Spirit. This is totally Jesus. He could have spoken on the cross and said, I'm done with this. You're all going to hell. Boom. And guess what happens? The universe folds up and everybody goes to hell. But what did he do? He was willing to suffer injury that others might live. Gentleness. Patience. This is the opposite of revenge. It's long-suffering. You know, Paul experienced the patience of Jesus personally. 1 Timothy 1.16 says, But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. How many of you have killed Christians, persecuted the church, pretty much did a jihad on all Christians, thrown people in jail, separated their families? How many of you have done all that? The guy who wrote the New Testament did. Most of the New Testament. That was Paul. And he says, God showed me mercy so that he might show me his immense patience. So if Paul was, was, he called himself the chief of sinners, if God was immensely patient with him, And that was so that you would know that he'd be immensely patient with what? With you. Aren't you glad he's patient? Now go be patient with others. Yeah? Get that one? Be patient with other people. Yeah, that's that's the command there. And so we're to put on Christ in our attitudes and our actions. Verse 13. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Flip over to Matthew 18. It's worth reading. I don't know about you, but as I look at all these lists of actions and attitudes that God is removing and adding... 
I'm just going to blow it a lot. How about you? Anybody else? Not that is to say we don't take what the Lord has called us to seriously. We do, but we are growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We are learning to hear his voice and respond in obedience. But we're to willingly have the attitude that we are to put off the old and put on the new. We're to be pursuing these things as a way of life. And the truth is that we all sin against one another. How many of us have sinned against one another in this room? Totally. Either in front of them or behind them or an attitude or whatever it might be. And when we do, the Lord says we must forgive one another. And that's what he says. Bear with one each other. Forgive one another. If anyone has agreements against one another. And and in all families, there's grievances. And this is our final point here. The truth is we must forgive one another. And it's not an option in our new life. Unforgiveness is marked by our old life. That's what the world is, is displaying. Unforgiveness. A lack of forgiveness. We need forgiveness in our culture, in our churches, in our, in our valley, in our politics, all these types of things. We need forgiveness. Forgiveness is the mark of a new believer. It's new clothes, friends. And so here in verse 21 of Matthew 18, it says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister? or husband, or wife, can add in whatever, who sins against me up to seven times, question mark. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. In other words, just infinitely is the idea in the Greek. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And he began the settlement, as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. I don't know about you, but 10,000 bags of gold today is a lot of money. What's it an ounce right now? 14? 13? Okay. Yeah, $1,300 for an ounce of gold. So bags of gold. So he owes a little bit of money. Let's just say he can't pay it back, right? And since he was not able to pay it, that's biblical, verse 25, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Bummer. And at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me. Be patient with me, he begged. And I will pay back everything. And the servant's master, what did he do? He took pity on him, canceling the debt and let him go. Have mercy upon me. And the king had mercy. What did he do? He forgave him and let him go, right? but is contingent on something. But when the servant went out, verse 28, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me. He demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay off the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. And they went and told their master everything that had happened. And the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? 
And in, in, in anger, his master handed him over to the jailer to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Real quickly, does he ever get out? Can he pay it back? The answer is no. And what is this a picture of? A picture of hell. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. <coughs> new clothes, new life. What did Jesus do with our dad? Now go do that to others. And so, when we're dealing with heavy, heavy things in our lives, things that have been done horribly to you. How many of you had horrible things happen to you? Things said to you, things that hurt. The only cure I know is the cross of Jesus Christ. And as I go to the cross of Jesus Christ, I realize what I've done, and I realize who I am, and I realize that he's shown mercy upon me. And that is now my motivation for going to that other person and saying, I forgive you. From the heart takes time sometimes. But you forgive. You don't hold it against them. You let them go free. And what I find is when there's a lack of, of forgiveness, um, something called bitterness starts to take hold in, in a heart and a life. Anybody had bitterness happen to them? And, and you get angry inside. And bitterness leads to, you know, obviously anger. And anger leads to what? Murder. That's where it goes. And so when people are looking at murder and they're trying to do something, I often track it back to a lack of forgiveness. They've been hurt. And what we need is the cross of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ to forgive us of all sins. And let me tell you, that is what we preach. It's not fair. It's not about fairness. It's about mercy. And I'm thankful that God wasn't fair with me, so to speak, and that he, he, he wasn't just with me. In other words, he, I'm just thankful he just wiped it out. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. So yes, while we're initially ticked off or whatever it might be, be quick to go to your father and say, Lord, this is, this is the old man. This is the way the world does stuff. I'm going to put this on the cross and I'm going to forgive. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit in the church. And that's what makes us different. And so put on your new life, church. Put on your new life, your new clothes in Christ Jesus. It's a choice. Let him work in and through you as you go and declare his praises, not by what you just say only, but by the life you live and how you treat others. And may the Lord just bless you this week. Pour out his, his spirit upon you. Because then he goes in verse 14, and over all these things, put on love, which binds them all together. Read Colossians, uh, Corinthians chapter 13. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since members of one body were called to peace, and be thankful, and let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. So Paul continues to exhort. Lord God, I just ask that you would give us the peace of Christ as we... Lean into the cross as we forgive.
as we receive forgiveness, as our very character and our essence is changed, as we reckon the old man dead, as we put to death that old life and now choose to put on Christ. And I'm just, I just know, Lord, there's, there's people here this morning, dear, loved children who just need your touch this morning, your reminder. And so, Lord, um, just draw them to your throne. Draw them to your cross and remind them of truth. And Lord, love through us, one another in the world. Love through us, Lord. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray and ask. Amen.